Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What is the first brand that made an impact on you as a young girl growing up? I think it's a tie between maybe guest jeans. I remember like being a young girl in the 80s and it was just this brand in this little triangle in the back of your jeans and you had to have it. And so I think that's probably one of the first brands that I remember really loving. They created an image around the brand and if you were like, you know, a, a teenage girl in the 80s, you definitely really wanted to have a pair of those jeans. And the second one, I think it's probably just Nike. Um, and Nike still, I think, is, is a brand that I really admire the way they've earned the right to show up in these moments. Um, and they're really clear about who they are. And I think that that's incredible and really aspirational. And I think that there's some incredible iconic brands out there, but Nike's one that really stands out to me. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on this CMO podcast is Lauren Weinberg, the chief marketing and communications officer for Square, which changed its corporate name to Block in December 2021 as the company expands into new categories. Square was founded by Jack Dorsey and Jim McKelvey in 2009 to make credit card payments possible for everyone, especially small businesses, by turning the mobile phone into a card reader. Today, the company is an ecosystem of commerce solutions with a variety of software and hardware products. Revenue is about $18 billion, and its market cap at the time of this recording was about $37 billion. Not bad for a 13-year-old business. My guest Lauren has been at Square for about five and a half years and about four as Chief Marketing and Communications Officer. This is her first CMO role. Her career path is heavy in data analytics and media. Lauren spent time at Nielsen, Comscore, Advertising.com, Viacom, and Yahoo. Lauren was an English and journalism major at Emory University, and she is putting that background to good use. On top of her CMO role, she just published a book. This is my conversation with CMO and author Lauren Weinberg. Lauren, welcome to the CMO Podcast. You have just published a book this year called Self-Made Boss. Congratulations, first of all. I've done two books. It's a lot of work. It's quite an achievement. So well done. Congratulations. How's it feel? It feels great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for acknowledging the book. Yes, uh, since you wrote a book, you know, it's a lot of work. It still is a lot of work, but I'm super proud of the content that we put out with the book. And it's been really fun to just connect with more business owners all over the country to talk about the book and Square and all the things related. So tell us why you embarked on this project of doing a book on top of a very busy life as CMCO at Square. I know what that's like. So tell us why you have a co-author, why you embarked on that. It's a great question. It's one I ask myself all the time. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, So honestly, Jackie Reeses, who's the co-author, and I were spending time together during the pandemic. Um, I was in California. I've since relocated. She was in California, and we were walking around talking about just how amazed we were at some of the incredible things that business owners were doing in the early days of the pandemic to, to be resilient, to keep their business afloat. And we thought about that combined with just everything that we had heard from business owners in all the years. So Jackie used to run Square's capital and banking division. And we both have talked to small business owners all the time. I actually ran my own business before I went to Square. And we felt like there's a couple of of key insights. One is that we felt there would be more people starting a business than ever before, which tends to happen during any type of economic downturn. We also know that there's millions of business owners everywhere that are just full of really rich insights. And 
most of the challenges and, and struggles that business owners go through, somebody else has been there before. And it can feel really lonely when you run your own business. So the idea for the book was, wouldn't it be nice if we could just package up this the insights and advice and everything that everyone that's come before sort of the next generation of entrepreneurs has learned already to just put it out there and share it. And, and it's really written the book as a guidebook. And we give a lot of actionable advice at the end of every chapter. The insights are all told through the perspective of business owners, because that's just way more credible than Jackie and I talking about our perspective of it is just hearing directly from these business owners, how they got started, how they deal with hiring, roadblocks, you name it, everything that you come across as a business owner. So the idea was, wouldn't it be nice? And it would be so helpful if there was a place that you could go and you can read the book from cover to cover, or you can go to the book and read the chapter that's most top of mind for you. If that's hiring, you can go to the hiring chapter and just read that chapter and learn something that will help you. You know an awful lot about small businesses because you've ran one and you obviously work in Square, which does a lot of wonderful work for small businesses, including my sister-in-law who does jewelry and she just loves your brand and loves your product, loves your offerings. But I'd like to know if there were any ahas for you when you went through this process, anything that struck you that was surprising, interesting, reaffirming? I think probably on the reaffirming side, one of the thoughts that we had going in is just it's incredible the things that business owners know already. There's a lot of literature from corporate businesses and business schools, and there's just not a lot out there that really hits, I think, on the sweet spot of being like pragmatic, actionable advice. And I think the thing that we we sort of knew or our hypothesis going in was these business owners have just as rich of insights as any professor in the top business schools. And they're they're just talking about it and speaking about it in a way that will resonate more. But I mean, I can give you just a couple of examples, but I will say the ability to, to navigate roadblocks, I think, which is something that we saw a lot of, obviously, during the pandemic, blows my mind. We had um, one of the, the merchants that we talk about in the book is um, a man named Peter Stein. He runs a company called Pico Oysters and his business model was selling to restaurants before the pandemic. So obviously the pandemic sets in and like overnight, you know, his entire business is shut down and he started offering direct to consumer, which I think, you know, had to very quickly get his website up and going. And he talked about partnering with a friend and using software that was designed to optimize bus routes to help him with his delivery routes because he was spending, I think he said 16 hours a day delivering oysters, just trying to make a living during that time. And that's just one example. But I think that there's there's so much, um, I think, just grit and passion and scrappiness that we see from small business owners and and really smart solutions and things that they're putting into place that are are honestly just incredible. So in my opinion, every chapter is full of rich insights and some tip or trick that, you know, you maybe would have stumbled upon yourself, but now you're getting to hear from people who have been there and done that, who have actually like successfully navigated some of those roadblocks before you. Do you have another book idea in you, Lauren? <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's too early, still right? very much like in the thick of this one. And I would yeah. say uh, for anyone who hasn't written a book, I, I think for me, I thought the hard part would be writing the book which it was, but it's actually, I, I would say, more work promoting a book. And so that and my job at Square keeps me pretty busy. So I don't have any new book ideas on the horizon in the in the immediate future. Well, I've never had a baby. My wife has, but it, it's it's a bit like having a baby, I think. You know, right when you have one, it's like, oh my, I'm not going to do that again. But then, you know, a year or two later, it's like, yeah. I think I think a book is kind of, the, at least my experience, a book is kind of the same way. Potentially. We'll see. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com.
I'd like you to spend time on that topic of brand versus performance marketing. I hate those words, but they are the ones we use. I was just mm-hmm. at the Cannes Festival in, in France, with, which is you know the biggest mix-up of marketers in the world. And I did some research among a bunch of CMOs there, and this was their number one issue they're wrestling with. You know, not talent, not when to speak up about issues in our society, but how do you resolve the balance of performance versus brand marketing and how can one help the other? So none of us have an answer to that. Obviously, it's something we're working through. I think measurement is an issue and we need some innovation in that space. But could you talk a little bit about at least how you approach that and how you, because everyone does have a balance at the end of the day and how, and how you allocate your resources, but how do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. I would say I think about this, and I know not every company is structured this way, but to me, I think about it as like parts of the whole equation, right? And so, yes, we do talk about brand and performance, but really, I think it's just the marketing funnel. And so, you know, we talk about it as like, what is the role that these different phases have? And so when we're talking about brand or awareness, we're talking about driving additional demand. And we've got some good KPIs for what does that look like? How do we know if that's working? Whether that's movement in our brand tracker, increased search query volume, increases in our website traffic. Those are the things that we look at to say, all right, like generally we feel like that's doing the job that it's supposed to be doing. But really we look at everything as like part of a portfolio approach. And and I think that that that's, what's working well for us. Because if you do more awareness, you see more efficiency in your performance marketing. So then we look at that as well, right? Which is, do we start to see CPAs come down? And before we got to the place where we were ready to make this investment in 2020, we had done a lot of experimenting. We had done a lot of work building out like our foundational infrastructure to make sure that we had good metrics in place. We have an incredible data science team and an incredible marketing analytics team at Square. And so we are working on doing a lot of match market testing and just trying to figure out how do we, how can we get better at predicting with accuracy when these brand or awareness investments will show up in more of our bottom line metrics so that we can just better sort of set expectations with all of our stakeholders at Square. And so I think that's, that's the big question for everybody in the industry. Um, I think it's interesting. Some teams don't even have those organizations in the same team. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably one of the things that as a marketing leader, I feel really strongly about, which is that they need to be together because it's really about the customer's journey. Every touch point that they have with your brand, and it's it's about really like making that consistent and then pulling people all the way through. So I think like everybody else, we're still working on the perfect exact science of it, but we try to conduct a lot of experiments and I think in a lot of ways, we really try to like blaze the industry in terms of just like coming up with like new ways of measuring it. And sometimes we try things and they don't work. Um, And we're kind of like always tweaking our experiments a little bit, hoping that we'll just get, I would say it's really for me about more precision around how can we predict when we start to see these things show up and what are all the benefits. Well, you said something, you said a lot of good things in there, but one key one is make sure that both are under the same leader. And that, as you said, that isn't the case in all companies. That's a step everyone can take. Yeah. I was talking in Cannes with Ted Sarandos, the co-CEO of Netflix, and I asked him this question and he said he had a very simple answer. He said, obviously it's a different business model. He said they measure conversations and buzz. That's their major KPI for their marketing. If they can get a lot of conversation and they have very analytical ways to measure the buzz in conversation, but he said, if that's happening in the totality of our marketing, then our programming, our shows, our content will get an audience and we'll do fine. That's interesting. I think it's probably different for every business. And I think that's a piece for us, right? Some people real recognize that like, what's your proxy metric? And so it sounds like for Netflix, it yep. really is around conversation. And I think we're trying to figure out exactly what our proxy metric is too. So I think that, that that's hard to do, but we're, we're working on it. You've been in this role about four years as CMCO at Square. You've been at the company about five and a half, and you've had an incredible run for these four years. Strong, obviously, we've been in and out of the pandemic and we're still in it. We've had lots of things going on in the world, but you've kept the top line growing. You've made lots of acquisitions. You've expanded your offerings. You have a new corporate name and on and on. So I would just like you to reflect a bit 
on these four years. How has your role changed the most from when you were you were given this role four years ago and you're now well into it through lots of change? What's the biggest difference in your role today? Yeah, I'm, there's so many things, but I would say, you know, one of the biggest areas that I would be uh, reluctant not to talk about is global expansion. So that's been a huge area of focus for Square over the last couple of years. Um, one of the things, but the first when I first came into this role running marketing, it was in a U.S. capacity only. Shortly after that, it became global, which is really oversight of all of our existing markets. And then we moved into new market expansion. And that's been just a huge area of focus for us, I think, as a business, but also from a marketing standpoint, which is has been so fun. Um, a lot of great learning there. But that's, I think, probably one of the biggest areas for us. I think the other big thing is just is just changing the company's relationship with marketing. So I, I think that's a little bit reflective of the last piece of the conversation that we've had, which is. I think initially there was a lot of preconceived notions about marketing at Square um, and that marketing was really there just to, to capture existing demand. Um, and it took a lot of like hard work and education just to kind of talk about, well, how could we, how could marketing play a different role in really accelerating the growth of the business? And so if I had to kind of look back over the last five years, I would probably say that's the piece that I am most proud of because it and it required so much work on every level, including changing how we did our annual planning process at Square, you know, doing a lot of education with product teams around what does it look like and what does that mean? We have a lot of products at Square and we have a lot of products with really high LTV, but we just weren't initially seeing the demand for those because people hadn't heard of them. And so just explaining the dynamics, and I think back to that point about how the whole funnel works together around, hey, like you have a product, you've got good product market fit, you've got good CSAT scores, people like this product, it's successful for the business, but you just can't get enough people there. And that's when there's this idea or this notion around introducing that product to more people. And so that whole idea, I think, was just like relatively new for a lot of people at Square. I, I think if you think about Square's origins from prior to me being at Square, it really, I think, was a business that grew just with this tremendous, like organic customer flywheel, which is incredible. But Square came along at a time where nobody was really servicing the long tail of small business owners with a really disruptive product. And there wasn't a lot of competition. And so it was, and I knew we had Jack Dorsey, which is an incredible asset to have, right? And so Jack can tweet about something and millions of people see it. And also just, you know, as a successful entrepreneur, Jack gets a lot of great buzz. And so that was really the recipe for early success at Square. And then I think when you fast forward eight, 10 to now where we are 13 years out, and we have a really complex ecosystem of solutions. We service a much broader audience We've now entered markets where we're not first to market. And so it really has required us, I would say, to just for our entire marketing strategy to really grow up, to really meet the needs of the business. And it's a much more mature business than it was 13 years ago. So I think like upon reflection, that's the piece I would say that I'm really proud of. And then one final thing is, you know, we've done a lot of work around just our brand image. And this is something that I think Square had well before my time there. And it's one of the reasons that I was excited to come to Square is Square's always been excellent at seller narratives and telling those stories and creating this emotional connection. Because a lot of people will say business isn't personal. I would say there's nothing more personal, actually, than running your own business and the blood, sweat and tears that you pour into that. And so sharing those stories is something that's always been a part of Square's DNA. But we've done a lot of work over the years to really think about our entire brand design system. I think as you sort of expand globally and all of these things, and we're expanding in all these product areas, creating a consistent design language, a tone of voice. We didn't have a lot of those things. I think these are just things that you, you start to need more of as your organization grows up. And it enables us to move really quickly as a team because we now have these guidelines. So I'm really proud of, of the team that has put that in place at Square because it's really actually helped us in a lot of ways to move even faster as we enter into all these new markets and new areas of business. 
that's a remarkable legacy in four years. I would like you to talk a little bit more about changing the relationship of marketing to the company. A lot of CMOs are wrestling with that. You've done it very well, and you, and you went through a few things that you did to do that. But I'd like you to reflect a little bit more on that in advice for others who are trying to also make marketing more important to the company's strategy, success, to build relationships with other functions, and to really be seen as integral to the success of the company. What would be your counsel and advice to those listeners who would like to follow the path that you have led at Square? I would probably say a few things. Um, Number one is, I think for me, was just building out that foundation that we needed. So if you're ready to start to spend money in different ways or do experiments, make sure that you have like solid KPIs and a measurement plan in place so that after you do that, you can go back and say, we tried this. Here's what happened as a result of that. That was really key for me in being able to move square forward into a different path when it relates to marketing. So like that's number one. Um, We had a pretty strong marketing tech stack when I got to Square. There were some components of our attribution model. Just just working on, I call that part like the guts and plumbing of marketing. And some CMOs really don't like that side of marketing, but I actually really love it because like the landscape is constantly changing. It's always hard. There's privacy laws. There's all these things that you have to contend with. And it's just like this like never ending puzzle that always needs to be kind of moving pieces around. So that was the starting place for me, which was getting that to a good place, starting small, doing some experiments, getting a couple of wins under my belt. The second thing I would say was developing strong relationships with product teams. When I got to Square, there was a little bit of friction between product and marketing. And a lot of that had to do with just like a lack of visibility and accountability. And so I strongly believe in being really accountable and providing a lot of transparency and visibility into not only where we spend money and what results we achieve, but also how we make decisions as a team. And that requires patience, a lot of education, and just investing the time in really bringing product teams along for the ride. And I think that's probably been one of the most valuable things like in terms of helping me and, and the entire team move the company forward on this trajectory was having support from those teams and confidence from them. And obviously every CMO knows that you're never going to make all of your stakeholders happy because at some level you have to prioritize and you have to say no to certain things. And I would say today, what I think my product peers would say about me is I may not like all of your decisions, but I understand them. And I think for me, I'm like, that's the best that I can ask for, right? You understand how I make decisions. You may not like them, but you understand them and you respect them. So I think that's the second thing. And the third thing is just having conviction. I think for me, like I was super passionate about this notion and what it could unlock for Square and just sort of like relentlessly pursuing that. And yes, I got no's along the way and I asked for money and I heard no, or I tried to do things and I heard no, and I would always listen to the feedback and think about what people were saying and come back with another plan. But I think having a lot of conviction around these things that you feel fundamentally like you know in your core will help drive the business forward is is probably the other piece that was really important. Where are you personally focused right now? Right now, I think focus still on global expansion. A lot of that is still very new to us. So we entered three new countries last year, Ireland, France, and Spain. And I think those are those are tricky markets to unlock. And so I think still very focused on just striking the right balance between, you know, culturally nuanced and really speaking to the the customers in those markets, establishing credibility for us and just creating that momentum and getting that flywheel going there, big area of focus for me. The the measurement piece and, and continuing to to really show the long-term impact of our brand and awareness investments, I think will always be somewhere top of mind for me. Um, and then just just really, I think, trying to establish some level of predictability for our business, which has been, I would say, prior to COVID, our business was really predictable. We knew when we spent money what we could see. Obviously, it's just been a really crazy couple of years for business owners everywhere. And so I think just trying to figure out like where where do we start to see some stability? And it's it's hard, right? I think everyone's sort of contending with this right now, but just helping us think through like 
what does it look like for us if we start to see some recessionary elements um, in the economy? And so just just really, I think, top of mind for me is just thinking through some of those things and making sure that our team is well positioned to invest aggressively, but also to do that responsibly. What's the toughest decision you've had to make or issue you've had to work through over these four years? <laughs> I think probably... Um, my initial proposal to to Jack and our finance team around this investment in marketing um, was just a flat out no, right? Like I want to do this. I want to. I need this much more money. No, and so I think, and I learned a lot in the process, which was partially that if I wanted to make big changes at Square, I was going to have to start much earlier. So it was a really good experience for me. But I think at that time, I then said, okay. I still wholeheartedly believe in the strategy that we put forward. And if it's not possible to secure like additional budget for that, then we're still going to, we're still going to move forward with this strategy. We're just going to take money off of the top of our like performance budget and spend it in a different way. And basically asking like finance and product and all of these teams to take that leap of faith with me. I said, I don't know when we will see this, but I know that when we see it, it will be, we will see like this incremental growth in the business. It could be one month, it could be six months, it could be a year, and we won't know until we get started. But I think that was probably the scariest moment of Square, which is really just kind of asking everybody to get on board with taking this leap of faith and trying a different way of going to market was probably the the scariest, hardest decision. You've talked about conviction already today, and I've heard you in other venues talk about the importance of courage, conviction, curiosity, and a growth mindset for you and for your broader team. Those are really big and really important concepts. The key is how to operationalize them into your culture and daily work. So just any tips from you, Lauren, and how you take those big concepts of courage, conviction, growth mindset, and curiosity, and be sure they're coming to life with your people and your culture and what you value and what they work on day in and day out. So I think there's a couple of things in there. One is I think if you want people to have conviction and be courageous, you have to create a safe environment. So that's definitely like a huge tenant of just creating this 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 trust and this feeling of safety. People are not going to want to take a risk or try something new if they feel there's no room for failure at all. And so we definitely tried to create a culture that really um, encourages learning, experimentation. We uh, report out weekly on what we're seeing, on new things that we're trying. And one of the things that I absolutely love about Square is if you say, we tried this, we thought this, it didn't work, but here's what we learned is how celebrated that is. Everybody's like, that is so great, right? You know, that is definitely going to be something that makes us better. So I think if you want your team to embody those characteristics, you have to create a safe environment for them. And I think the other piece is really the kinds of people that you look for when you're hiring. Um, I don't know if you've heard me talk about this before, but I like to describe it as somebody who's a builder, meaning like, you can see that there's potential for greatness, but it may be you're not coming into a well-oiled machine. And some people need that. Some people need to come in and everything is in place and they know exactly what to do. I think that's never been like my preference. I like to come in and to be an uncharted path and for things to be a little bit messy. And I, I feel like I get a lot of, I think, just energy from seeing how you can fix some of these things and and then looking back when you get to the other side and just realizing how far you've come. And so part of it for us is really when we are looking for leaders at Square or hiring, looking for some of those characteristics and just trying to suss out, you know, where people have been successful in the past, what kinds of work environments they feel like they've really thrived in, which ones were really hard for them just so that we, I think, are hiring people who are really embodying those same characteristics and want to be a part of building towards something really great. I mentioned earlier I was at the festival in Cannes earlier this summer, and this concept of curiosity kept coming up. I kept hearing people talk about how it's a key characteristic they look for in hiring. It's something that is a, a criteria for senior marketing leaders. It's another one of those words and concepts that's a little bit hard to pin down. So I know it's something that you value. You're a curious person yourself, but I'd like you to talk a bit about 
how do you know it when you see it? And can we actually coach it and train it? Yeah. So I think for me, it's I it's when people are asking a lot of questions. Um, it's also when when people are comfortable saying, I see that we've done something this way, but I think it could be better if we did it another way. And so I think part of that, again, goes back to creating an environment where people feel it's safe to, to really put those ideas up there. But I personally am looking for people that are going to ask really hard questions. There's a lot of things about Square's culture that are really great. I mentioned some of them. Another one is that you know, we have meetings where whoever does the work speaks about the work and really junior people are encouraged to challenge really senior people. And I think part of it is kind of what you give off as a leader. But I will say personally, if somebody on my team says, I think you're thinking about this the wrong way, Lauren, I love that. And I always say, okay, why? Tell me more. And sometimes they're wrong and sometimes they're right. I'm like, you're right, actually, wasn't considering that. And so I think part of it is just, you know, really encouraging people to speak up, to to ask those questions, to challenge the way that we've done things. I think one of my least favorite answers to a question is because we've always done it that way, which is something I heard a lot of when I got to Square. And I thought, that's funny. How could there be an always with a company that's only eight years old? You know, there's really no always when you're in this kind of startup mode. And so I think it's really looking for people who are always comfortable challenging conventional wisdom, willing to ask the questions, comfortable challenging respectfully senior people in the company to to potentially think about things in a different way. I also love spending time with people that are very new to our organization. I think they always offer lots of great insights. I'm like, what have you observed in your first 30 days? Like, what do you think we're doing really well? Where do you think we could be doing better? And I think that's a great opportunity for learning. So for me, I'm really curious. I love learning from everyone that comes in new. I think we've hired some incredible leaders, especially in the last 18 months. And it's always really fascinating to get their takes on what's going well, what areas of opportunity they see. And so it's really just about being open, I think. And so in a company that has a growth mindset like Square, like leaders are very open. People can challenge each other. It's all done really respectfully. But I think that kind of thinking and that dialogue is what makes work better and great. How have you, Lauren, as a leader changed over the past four years, changed the most? That's a good question. I think I am much more open now. Um, I think that being at Square these past couple of years, I mean, A, I've learned so much. This has been the most incredible job, and I can't say enough great things about having just like the good fortune of being able to run this team and kind of be a part of Square's like incredible growth journey over the last couple of years. And I would say that there's a lot of divergent perspectives at Square and there's ways that we think about how we operate. And a lot of those things are very different than what I was used to. And I think part of this came from Yahoo, where there was just a lot of change at Yahoo. So I think I just got comfortable with this notion that like change is the only constant. And I got much more comfortable with being open to new and different ways of seeing things. And I would say that's that's like 10x at Square, which is a lot of people who are really smart just have different opinions about how we do things. And we try things a lot of different ways at Square. And I think that we do always learn from them, but it's really opened my perspective to like how I think about where marketing should sit and how it should be structured. And I would say the biggest thing is that, you know, I really don't feel precious at all about organizational divides and where people sit. And I think that's like probably been the biggest kind of growth area for me is just that, you know, you don't need to have somebody on your team to control something that you can have great partnership um, and really be able to influence things in that way. And I think that's an area that I've grown a lot in my time at Square. Let's move to your career path, which I think is a really interesting one. It's a mix of data, analytics, media before you got to Square. You already talked a bit about Yahoo. Your path seems like a pretty good one for a CMO of these times. Do you feel it prepared you well for stepping into this role or not? I do. Um, I think that the you know, data and being really data driven and accountable is something that all CMOs really need to be today. I mean, I think that's that's probably always been the case, but I think even more so, especially as we think about 
the times that we're entering now. I mean, you think about marketing and, you, and a company's OPEX and marketing is always going to be this really expensive line item. And so I do think that my background in data and also in insights and really understanding people are two things that have served me really well because I a, really enjoy that side of marketing. And I think a lot of CMOs just don't want to get into the weeds on it, but I actually really like love it. And I'm definitely a little nerdy in that way. And so I enjoy that part of the work. And I also think just like really thinking about like empathy and insights and how you apply that to your marketing strategy are two things that I, I think really were an integral part of my like early career days that have definitely shaped the kind of marketing leader that I am today. This area of insights and empathy, talk a bit more about that. What is it about you that makes you interested in insights and you know, I, and how people live and work and what they enjoy. So where was this, where, did, where was this born within you and how have you nurtured it? I would say it's probably always been somewhere inside of me, but it probably was something that was really nurtured when I was in college. I was in a program, a journalism program, and I thought I was going to be a journalist probably until a couple of months before I graduated. And that's all about like understanding people, telling their stories. And I had the good fortune of working at a bunch of different media institutions. So I worked at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, CNN. I worked for a magazine in Atlanta. And one of the great things about this program that I was in is that you had to do, I think, like 200 hours of internship, which is a lot when you're in college. And so it was great because I realized then that I didn't want to be a journalist, but I always loved hearing people's stories. Um, and I would say I'm a really avid reader. I was also an English major and I still like love reading people's biographies and memoirs and just really understanding like what makes people who they are, I find incredibly fascinating. So that's something that's always been inside of me. And then I think when I saw the way that Square was telling stellar stories and using those narratives, and really, I would say all throughout my career, really the combination of using data to tell stories has been something like that I think has allowed me to kind of bring together several different skill sets, but also allowed me to use my background in communications and journalism to do that. So I love that. And I think I'm just an empathetic person, but I would say, especially since I ran my own business before I went to Square, I really have a lot of empathy for just how challenging that is and how many hats you need to wear in a day. And I think I always am thinking, no matter who I'm speaking to, like what is in it for this other person that you are speaking to, whether it's executives in a company, whether it's your customers, like what do they care about? What's in it for them? And I think that's just something that's always been a part of like how I think about work and things and conversations. Well, it's all related to curiosity, right? This whole area of empathy and insights yeah. and curiosity, they're all they're all highly related. And I do think it's a characteristic that we probably don't talk as much about or think about training it and helping others find their way in this space. Because I agree with you, when you're asking more questions, when you're listening more than you're talking, you learn more, you're more curious, and you're a much more effective leader. Yeah, I agree. So in this career path you've had, which was, I think, a very good one for the role you're in now, what about that, what time in that career path was most stretching for you? most developmental before you reach Square? I would say there's two areas. They're both at Yahoo. Um, I would say up until like, I'm not sure if I recall exactly what year, but probably halfway through my time at Yahoo, my entire career was on the B2B side and B2B, not like small businesses, SMB, but more enterprise B2B. And when Marissa came to Yahoo, she hired a new CMO and I pitched that CMO on a role that would sort of span across consumer and B2B. And so, and, and she said, yes, but she said I had to move to California. So that was <laughs> kind of one big thing. So I did, I moved to California and I took on this role. And I think that was one huge area for me, which is like making that leap onto the consumer side, which I really loved. And so, and then I think the second thing was also at Yahoo was when I raised my hand to the CMO and said, 
you know, I'm responsible for all the analytics and the research and the insights across like, globally for the company, across B2B and consumer. And I have spent my entire career working with the best advertisers and brands in the industry. And I see the way Yahoo's marketing to consumers. And I think it could be so much better. Like if we were using data and insights and more of that kind of approach. And even though I've never done that before. I'd really like to do it here. And would you give me that opportunity? And she said yes. And so I think that was a huge kind of leap for me just from being really focused on strategy and insights. And I always had a seat at the table at Yahoo's leadership team in terms of shaping the strategy. But that leap and that, I think, vote of confidence from Yahoo's CMO was really, I think, the biggest pivot for me to actually start to oversee like areas of marketing. And I absolutely loved it and felt, oh, this is the thing I should have been doing all along. But I think to your point, it really was around taking that skill set that I'd had and then applying it to a way going forward. So I think all of these experiences really added up to where I am today. And I think part of it is having the courage to raise your hand and say, will you give me the opportunity to do something that I've never done before? Um, earning that trust and having those relationships for people to say, yes, I do believe that you could do this and I'm going to give you this chance. We have great power, most of us, to influence our career paths. We just don't seize it. And I counsel yes. so many younger people and organizations and I ask, do you, have you made it clear what you would like out of your career to your leaders? Are, are you self-aware enough to say, this is what I would like to be developed in, I'd like to get experiences in, this is what, what my development goals are, that's a very powerful conversation and we need to have more of those. I couldn't agree more. I tell people the same thing all the time, which is like you own your own career journey and your manager can help you with that, but you are in the driver's seat of that. And I think if I hadn't had the courage to ask for those opportunities, mm -hmm. and I would say as a woman also, I sort of struggled to really say out loud what my ambitions were. And as I got more confident and older, I felt more comfortable saying, this is the job that I want to have. And when I came into Square, I wasn't running marketing initially. I had components of it. And I said, I just want to be really clear that my goal is to lead marketing here. This is what I want. It's what I'm coming here to do. And so I would just say for anyone listening who hasn't sort of put those things out there, it's scary, I think, for sure. But I think once you put it out there, then you hold yourself accountable and also other people to really help you uh, achieve your ambitions. Well, you were made head of marketing within your first year at Square, so you must have been <laughs> you must have been persuasive. Yes, I think so. Lauren, I want to move to our last section, which is the creative brief. And the first question is: You're an '80s girl. Did you are you watching Stranger Things and relating to that? <laughs> I am watching Stranger Things. I definitely relate to everything that's happening in there. Although I will like call myself out and say that I find Stranger Things to be a little scary sometimes. And so I can't always watch it because I really hate scary movies and scary shows. And sometimes Stranger Things sort of crosses over that line for me. It and definitely like, does. a little too scary. You have a bunch of learning routines for yourself, podcasts, articles, books. You've talked about how much you love reading, your team. So what are you listening to these days? What are you reading? And what are you learning from your team? So I, um, well, I always listen to the daily. Um, I have been listening to a lot more CMO podcasts lately, like CMO moves, um, and just trying to, and grit and just learning from other leaders. Um, I, um, what other podcasts am I listening to? Um, how I built this. That's always a staple mm -hmm. for me. I, I love hearing people's stories about how they, um, built their brands. I actually just listened to the episode with Jimmy Fallon, I think the other day, which was really interesting and not someone that I would have thought of traditionally for that show. I'm always reading memoirs. Um, I, I really, I recently read Katie Couric's book, which I thought was really fascinating and inspiring. And I, I, I think just like lots of good stories about some of the things that she went through and she's very like honest in her assessment of herself, which I really appreciated and it kind of made me feel all the feels like I smiled. I definitely cried in that book as well. So, and I have read, I mean, I've read the Obamas. Um, I've read uh, so many. I, I feel like I, I really love uh, shoe dog is one of my favorite books ever. Um, I love Bruce Springsteen's memoir. Like I love hearing about how people just overcome 
challenges in their life and the way that they do it. So I get a lot of, I think, just like inspiration and energy from reading about that. And then I would say in terms of the team, you know, we're always sharing articles and content on Slack. I think a lot of the things that we've been looking at recently are related to like the economy and what we think is going to happen. So definitely reading a lot about that. I've read all the same books that you have just listed. So we must have similar reading habits. We'll have to start a little book list, a book club. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. I think those are all really good ones. Best advice you've gotten from Jack Dorsey? To just do something. I think like Jack is a big, like we've talked about stuff and he's like, so why aren't we doing that? And I'm like, um, and he's like, just do it. Like if that's what you think is the right thing to do, then just do it. And so I think that's probably the best advice from Jack is to, and I think also from Marissa Meyer, she said, stop looking for the no. And I tell my team that all the time, which is like, stop looking for someone to tell you no. Like, let's just do it. Just move forward. Most influential business mentor in your life and why? Probably Jackie Reese's, who is the co-author of the book with me. Um, we've now worked together at two companies. Um, and she, I think, is the person that I turn to Whenever I need advice on something, I've absolutely loved just being on this journey of writing this book with Jackie. But Jackie is really confident. She's really smart. And she has kind of coached me and been my biggest cheerleader, I would say, probably for the last 10 years. And just someone that I trust implicitly with advice on how to navigate my career. What's the best advice she's given you? She, so many things, um, to go, to go work at square. That was good advice. Mm, that's um, a big one. <laughs> yeah, that was a big one. And also just to, to really think about like how you build out like your own personal brand. She's someone who was really good at that. I never did anything like that before. And she was somebody who really encouraged me to get out there and do more of that. Most inspiring person in your life. My mom. I know that's a little bit cheesy, but I think my mom um, was somebody who always worked and she is just has the most kindest heart. And whenever somebody needs anything, she's always there for them. She remembers everybody's birthday. I'm terrible at that, but I try to embody like this, like if somebody needs something, being there for them for a while. I had to stop doing this because too many people had COVID. But whenever somebody I knew got COVID, I would bake cookies and wellness shots and drop it off at their door for them. And I think that's something that my mom would do. Um, eventually, I really <laughs> couldn't do that anymore. But just this idea of always giving back comes from my mom. What's her work? What's your mom's career? So she's retired now. Um, she was a paralegal for many years um, and now and then she stopped working and she volunteers and helps people um, get onto like Medicaid plans. So she's just like oh, a very, yeah. very giving person. Very mission driven. Yeah. Now, three things you value are having empathy, which you've talked about inside and outside the company. You've I've heard you speak about that. You love to have fun with your team and being nice. So those are all... <laughs> Lovely. What's one leadership ritual or habit you have to bring that kind of culture to life? Well, I think part of it just starts with like leading by example. Um, I think that I ask a lot of very hard hitting questions and I can be very direct and so can my manager. But I think that there's like, there's, there, it's never not kind. Right. And I think that that there's a big distinction there between asking questions, getting the information you need. And then when people make mistakes, just not making them feel too bad about it, but acknowledging like what you can learn. And I think like in most companies, a lot of that type of culture is something that really gets set at the top and trickles down. And I would say Jack is someone that is so humble, really confident, incredibly smart, and it just really, to me, comes across as being like really genuine and authentic. And he's very kind. And I think that that trickles down into the rest of the, the culture at Square as well. And so I think a lot of it is just like, you know, I think just being just really embodying those things in the way that you interact with everybody on the team is the way that you sort of set that kind of culture for your team. If you're really nasty, it gives other people permission to be really nasty. So... Lauren, I've asked you a bunch of very thoughtful questions and challenging questions, and this has been a marvelous interview. Do you have anything for me before we sign off? you want to throw any of these big, heavy, thoughtful questions back to me? I mean, I guess one question I have for you, because I didn't get to go to Cannes this year, which was definitely a little bit of a bummer, but it just was like too hard 
with me and my personal life. But just, you know, you talked about CMOs really talking about just the, this measurement challenge. Um, what else? Like, what else were people really talking about a lot this year? I already mentioned a lot of curiosity. That seemed to be just a trending topic. I thought the Anheuser-Busch InBev, they were named Creative Marketer of the Year. That's a big achievement. When I was at PNG, we also earned that after many, many years of working at it. And I asked them about their journey to achieve Creative Marketer of the Year. And it doesn't just happen. They were very intentional about taking their game up in marketing capability, becoming more innovative, more agile, more creative, more meaningful to their customers and their distributors, more caring, more kind. And it took them several years, but it was a plan. It just did not happen. So I think uh, a big learning on that is you don't become a world-class brand builder or marketer by dreaming of it. You become a world-class marketer by dreaming and then being very intentional about the changes you need to make to raise your game and be more important and meaningful to your employees, your customers, and your ecosystem. So that to me was, again, a big affirmation of what I know, but we can never get complacent about that. Yeah, that's a good one. Thank you for sharing that. Lauren, thank you so much. Your book is Self-Made Boss. You are a wonderful self-made boss and a very, and very, very insightful and humble. And this has just been a fabulous episode. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you so much for having me on today. It was great. Really fun. That was my conversation with Lauren Weinberg. Three takeaways from this rich discussion for your business, brand, and life. First takeaway, the importance of curiosity and how to be a curious person. When I asked Lauren how she remains curious, she says, I always ask a lot of questions. I seek out new people on my organization to see what they think. And I look for people who challenge conventional wisdom. So curiosity is often cited as a critical characteristic for CMOs. This was a masterclass in how to be curious and relate that to your business. Second takeaway, make marketing relevant in your company. This is a challenge for many CMOs. Marketing is not seen as highly relevant and mission critical. Lauren talked about how she built the credibility of marketing within Square, how it is mission critical. And the first thing she did, she got the plumbing and the guts right. She worked on KPIs. She worked on her stack. She worked on engaging the product teams. And today, marketing is seen as a partner with other functions and a critical driver of Square's business. Third takeaway, the simple power of conviction. Lauren said when she gets a no, she seeks to understand why, but she keeps her conviction on the strategy that she and her team had built. And when someone is not funding something or someone says no, she doesn't take that as a setback. She seeks to learn why and regroups and comes back with even more conviction. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.